Hey everybody, welcome to another Ithaca Bound podcast episode. I'm your host, Andrew Schiestel, and this is the podcast where we explore history and mythology in the Mediterranean basin. Today I'm joined with Dr. Federico Santangelo for a conversation about the former Roman Republic statesman, Sulla. Dr. Santangelo is Professor of Ancient History at Newcastle University, based in the UK. He has written many publications over his career, including authoring a couple books as examples. Sulla, the Elites and the Empire, a study of Roman policies in Italy and the Greek East, which was published by Brill, and Divination, Prediction, and the End of the Roman Republic, which was published by Cambridge University Press. Welcome to the call, Federico. Thank you very much, Andrew. Great pleasure to be here today. Thank you. Okay, so who was Sulla, and why is he a significant or noteworthy individual for historians? He was a patrician. He was um, uh, the member of a of an ancient um, Roman clan, the Cornelii, and of a branch of that clan, a, a family, the Cornelii Sulae, that had a rather significant, if uh, in some respects problematic, mm-hmm. uh, record of service uh, to the to the Republic. Mm-hmm. Certainly, you know, a, a well-known, widely recognized name in uh, mid-2nd century BC Rome. Uh, he was born in uh, 138 BC. Um, mm-hmm. And he rose to establish a very substantial reputation in uh, in Rome and indeed beyond. Um, but really his career trajectory was uh, something quite uh, extraordinary uh, by, by anyone's standards. Mm-hmm. And uh, the impact that he went on to make um, not so much, not only, not exclusively on the politics of his own time, but really on, on the framework of the Respublica for at least a generation, if not beyond, um, is quite simply extraordinary. Hmm. And uh, as we, we shall perhaps see later in our conversation, it's something that really comes into, into shape, uh, into its own, uh, towards the end of his life, uh, in the the 80s or the first century BC. So he's a major transformative figure in the mm-hmm. history of the Roman Republic. He's also a deeply divisive and controversial one. So let's maybe more in brief initially start with um, at the apex of his career, what what offices did he hold? Just for any listeners that may be completely new to the name. And then we can get, yeah, and then we can get into more of a dialogue about some of the um, factors and circumstances that uh, ca- caused his as- ascent. He, he was a consul. In fact, he was a consul twice. Hmm. Uh, in 88 BC and then later in 80 BC. But I suppose that uh, the magistracy that is most readily associated with his name uh, is the dictatorship, uh, which he held uh, the end of 82, the first half of 81 uh, BC. Uh, The dictatorship is, as not many of our listeners will know, uh, a magistracy that uh, is built into the institutional framework of the Roman Republic, and that uh, typically, in the history of the Republic, is granted for six months Mm -hmm. uh, to an individual who's entrusted with the solution of a, of a specific crisis. 
right? or, or at least with a, with the management of, a, of an important task for the Republic. Uh, Sulla takes up the dictatorship, though, at the end of a civil war, in which he emerges as the as the victor, mm-hmm. and he uses to reframe the Respublica in a number of crucial respects. He really reorganizes the whole institutional, I could say, constitutional structure of the Respublica. Um, so, um, yes, uh, he's a consul twice, and those two consulships are very eventful, but I suppose uh, Salah's dictatorship in, in 81 BC is the crucial uh, stage, the crucial moment uh, of his political trajectory. What was the cause of the civil war? Because he, um, part of obtaining that um, position, I guess he, correct me if I'm wrong, I guess he probably self-proclaimed himself dictator. Um, What was surrounding the, um, what was surrounding the civil war itself that caused him to actually, in some respect or maybe large respect be against the 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 the, Ro- the roman republic um yes well actually as he as he goes about becoming dictator he devises a rather sophisticated rather intricate even uh, constitutional process uh, that involves other key political actors in rome and that leads to him being granted the dictatorship. Mm-hmm. Um, so he does, by, by, all, by all means, by all standards, carry out a subversive operation, but he very cleverly, very shrewdly codes in uh, uh, complex layers of constitutional formalities and niceties. But quite apart from that, the, the civil war, which was the essential mm-hmm. part of your question, is a, is a long civil war. It's a civil war that really starts in uh, uh, 88 BC when uh, a controversy arises in Rome on who should be the commander of a campaign against Mithridates of Pontus, uh, king in, in, in Asia Minor who had invaded the Roman province of Asia. And um, the, the, there's, a, there's a dispute in Rome on who's going to be the commander of that campaign, whether it's going to be Sulla or indeed the, the, the mm. very distinguished six-time consul Gaius Marius. And um, that dispute is resolved by uh, Sulla's military action. He decides to lead his troops that were getting ready for the campaign uh, on Rome, uh, basically forces a uh, restatement of the command um, uh, to him, and he then goes off to fight his campaign. Uh, Upon his return, he is awaited by Marius' political followers. Marius, by the point, is dead. Um, and, uh, um, and he faces them in a, in a civil war that unfolds for the best part of 83 and 82 BC. So it is a civil war, right? It, it, it is a war that uh, between two factions of Roman citizens, but it is a war that really is deeply rooted in uh, Rome's uh, imperial dimension and really in wider developments that are unfolding across the Mediterranean. The defining moment, in many ways, of uh, Sulla's uh, political trajectory is the campaign that he fights in uh, Greece and Asia Minor, what is now Turkey, uh, against the Mithridates. Someone, someone probably in his position had an an option to not do anything. Um, he obviously history 
uh, shows did something. What 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 was he, what was what was the crux of the disagreement between um, the two factions? The crux of the of, of the disagreement in AATAPC was can basically be summarized as follows: um, Salah was the serving consul. Um, he had been uh, uh, duly appointed uh, as the commander of the campaign against Mithridates, and he'd started, you know, raising his army and training it, and he was getting ready to set off uh, for Greece and then Asia Minor. Um, what happens just as Salah is training his army uh, near Rome is that uh, a tribune of the plebs called Sulpicius puts forward a, a bill, uh, a proposal. Uh, that uh, uh, entrusts the command of the Mithridates campaign to Marius, hmm. right? Um, something that, uh, whilst in principle lawful, certainly went against uh, sort of the deep-seated tradition of republican politics, whereby typically it was the serving consul that was uh, to be put in charge of major military campaigns. Um, that bill is passed. And you basically then have a constitutional crisis um, that readily turns into a political crisis. What is remarkable uh, here is that Salah decides to resolve that constitutional crisis by leading his army against Rome. Um, and uh, what's, I suppose, even more remarkable there is that his soldiers are, if we are to believe our, our sources, the ancient sources, uh, utterly enthusiastic at that prospect. Right, at the prospect of restating the right of their commander to lead that war. Of course, they, they knew perfectly well that had another commander, commander uh, taken over, uh, a new army would have been drafted, uh, new, different soldiers would have been recruited, and they wouldn't have had the chance to go off to the Greek East and no doubt mm-hmm. have their share in a um, foreseeably large war booty. Um, after that moment, you know, after what is actually the first march on Rome in the history of the Roman Republic, uh, if not in history, full stop, um, you then have a, a dynamic of civil strife that uh, can only end with the demise of one of the two parties. Mm. And uh, for that to happen, really, uh, you have to wait until, uh, until November 82 BC when the civil war ends quite some time after Sulla's return to it. So what 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 happened? Um, so the war war starts. What are some of the major milestones in that period, I guess, that six-year period? And then how did the civil war end? This is, again, when I think it's really important to, to take a look at, at the wider Mediterranean context. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the, the civil war, which is... Of course, a Roman affair, first and foremost, isn't fought just in Italy, um, isn't just an Italian an Italian affair, or let alone a Roman one. Uh, so what happens after Sulla's march on Rome in the summer of 88 is that the command is reinstated uh, to him. Uh, he then leaves the city a few, a few months later mm. um, and uh, crosses over to, to Greece where he starts a, what turns out to be a very successful campaign against uh, Mithridates and, and his troops. So he besieges uh, Athens, he eventually conquers it, he wins uh, two crucial battles in central Greece against Mithridates' forces in, in 86, 
BCA then crosses over into into Asia Minor. Hmm. Whereas in uh, Italy, at the same time, uh, his opponents regain power. Um, they regain power shortly after his departure. Mm-hmm. Here you have two very notable figures, Marius, whom we've already uh, encountered, and uh, another uh, rather remarkable uh, individual, uh, Cornelius Sinna. Uh, they are very much in control of the political scene for the best part of the 80s in Rome. So you basically have Sulla fighting this uh, major campaign, uh, fighting this major campaign in uh, Asia Minor, in the Greek East, um, as a political pariah, right? As as someone who uh, might be leading a Roman army, but has no legal entitlement to do so, insofar as the Senate and the serving magistrates in Rome are concerned, right? They even send off troops to take him on, Roman troops to take on Sulla's troops in uh, mm. In Asia Minor, uh, that doesn't that doesn't work out for a number of reasons. Once Sulla, and we're now in uh, 84 BC, uh, has brought to completion, to successful completion, the campaign against Mithridates, he's ready to make his way back to Italy, right? And he can do that, of course, on the back of uh, an extraordinary amount of resources of wealth that he's gathered um, in uh, in the East, and uh, on the back of that, uh, he manages to launch a uh, military attack on the Italian peninsula. Uh, he docks at Brundisium, uh, modern Brindisi, which to this day remains one of the great gateways to, to Greece and to the eastern Mediterranean, if you're traveling from Italy. Makes his way up the Appian Way, the Appian Road, and uh, uh, within within a, a year or so, uh, he he's taken over comprehensively and he's defeated his uh, um, his enemies. Um, by November 82 BC, when he wins the, the final major battle of that civil war at the Colline Gate in Rome, uh, what is now really the, the, the neighborhood immediately close to the Stazione Termini, the, the major railway station in Rome, uh, but by that time he's, he's virtually in control of uh, of the political scene in Rome. And he can then embark on a major plan of constitutional reforms. So he's now, well, he's still consul at, at, at this point. So what is some of the things that happen, some of the decisions that he makes or others make that eventually have him become a dictator in the Roman Republic? Well, okay. Let's 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 take a look at the at the, at the legalities of it. Actually, mm-hmm. when when he gets when he gets to back, back to Italy in eighty three in eighty two, he mm-hmm. is not a consul. He's a technically well, he claims to be a proconsul, right? Someone who, who has uh, uh, after holding the consulship has held a uh, significant provincial command overseas, and he's now returning to uh, to Italy officially to depose that command altogether. Uh, I suppose reporting back to the Senate and the people, uh, but he's not a serving consul. Mm. Uh, he's, however, and this is really what matters, I think, at the time of civil war, firmly in control of a, of a large army. Um, his opponents, on the contrary, are the serving consuls. Uh, you know, in eighty two BC, for example, one of the serving consuls is the son of Gaius Marius, mm. also imaginatively called Marius, uh, who. Um, takes on um, Sulla, indeed, as, as, as a 
uh, in the final stretch of the civil war. Um, after winning the civil war, um, then we have Sulla uh, coming up with this brilliant idea uh, of uh, bringing back into the fold this Marius Dursi, which for a long time no one had held in Rome, the dictatorship, mm-hmm. and to use it for uh, altogether different purposes to those that its previous holders had used it for. So instead of using the dictatorship to address a military crisis, he uses it to um, resettle uh, the constitutional, institutional, and to some extent also the political framework in Rome. And uh, the underlying claim being that there is an emergency to be addressed, uh, the enemy within has just been defeated, the Respublica must be brought back uh, to, to its feet um, through, a, through an ambitious, bold plan of reforms that he's going to enact uh, through the ex- emergency powers, extraordinary powers, granted to him by that magistracy. Which in many ways um, is, is, is a, well, it's, it's, it's a masterstroke from a, from a political point of view, regardless of the uh, complex and rather disturbing, actually, moral aspects of, of, of Sulla's actions. Um, but it's a masterstroke because he uses an old institution and he hollows it out, really, and re invents it comprehensively to uh, carry out uh, to successful completion, really, a uh, highly innovative uh, political plan. Before him, when was the the dictatorship provision used in the past? Oh, it's used a lot in the early mid-Republic, all the way down to the war against Hannibal. Right at the end of the third uh, century BC. BC. So it was common. I mean, yeah. yeah, it was Sorry? common. It, it was it was somewhat commonly used at one point uh, a few hundred years previous. Yes, yes. In fact, the, the, there are stretches, especially in the fourth century BC, when it's used really quite quite a lot. Uh, and you know, people actually debate as to why that might have been the case. But it really looks like it was the sort of thing that was. Uh, uh, used when there was a military emergency to address, and you know it it was it was quite happily built into the uh, political sort of institutional framework, and then at some point it's discontinued, um, Mm -hmm. partly because when Rome has major military campaigns to fight in the second century BC, those military campaigns will typically be overseas, right? And they will require uh, a much longer time commitment than the, the six months that were typically granted to a dictator. Uh, there'll be, you know, 12, 18 months job, if you're lucky, sometimes longer. And so for that, you need a different, uh, a different institutional setup. Is, is, it, is it believed that his anointment of... Uh, dictator was that is it believed that that was done constitutionally or is it believed that it was done unconstitutionally that's a brilliant question Um, I suppose there would be (laughs) there would be a whole debate to be had on whether um, speaking of a Roman constitution is entirely appropriate Uh, I I do think just to be clear that uh, you know to some extent, it is appropriate to do so. Um, but Rome does not have a written constitution. 
But you have something called, uh, you know, mos maiorum, the good old ways of the ancestors. Mm. Uh, you have a set of political um, practices that that are built into um, into the way in which institutions uh, operate. Um, and uh, well, in insofar as we can tell, there wasn't anything in the ways in which. Uh, Sulla was granted the dictatorship that was uh, uh, flagrantly unlawful, or that um, did away with the conventions through which uh, previous dictators had been uh, uh, entrusted with the magistracy. The spirit, though, of the dictatorship had clearly been fundamentally redefined. And one could say, if one wanted to sort of take sides here, betrayed um there was no military emergency to address in fact there was no short-term military military emergency to address in principle sulla could have just said well okay i won the civil war the enemies of the republic have been defeated we just go back to business as usual right we we, we just keep the consuls in office the lower magistrates they get elected they take office too and we just resume from day one uh as um as usual he doesn't quite do that. I mean, the consuls are elected for year 81, but he's very much the man in control of uh, uh, the political process. So, so yes, you could say that constitutionally it was basically in keeping with, with, with the established practice. But from a political point of view, it was an altogether subversive operation. When he returned to Rome in, I believe you said, 82, Two, um, yeah. he was not c- consul. So what? What? What year did he become consul? A, a, um, or rather, what year did he become dictator? And was he consul at that at that time when he became dictator? No, he was not. Uh, he becomes dictator towards the end of eighty two, okay. and then um, there's there's some debate on whether his dictatorship lasted for just six months. Mm-hmm. That's the view that I would tend to take. Others, though, take the view that his dictatorship lasted until the end of 81 BC, mm. right? What is certain is that at some point in 81 BC, when the uh, elections for the consulship for the following year, for the year we call 80 BC, uh, take place, uh, Sulla stands for office and gets elected, right? So he's elected uh, to the consulship of 80 uh, BC and he holds it until the end of the year and then only then um, does he withdraw to private life uh, so from the start of 79 BC having held his second consulship in 80 BC he withdraws to private life was he still technically a dictator at that point in time well he was not he certainly was not the question okay. is when he's basically stepped down from the dictatorship in 81 BC. He does not accumulate consulship and dictatorship, that, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, well, the, the debate is when he stepped down from the dictatorship in 81. I I think there is uh, perfectly good reasons for thinking that um, he just held it for six months uh, and that in that respect he acted within the established mm-hmm. tradition right, of a, of a six-month office. Uh, but what, what is certainly remarkable, and again, lots of ink have been spilled on, that, on this particular issue, is 
why he decides to withdraw to private life uh, at the end of uh, uh, ATBC, start of 79. Mm. Um, did he think that he had achieved what he intended to achieve? Did he actually realize, as some people have argued, speculatively, I think, uh, that he was really poli- getting politically isolated and that perhaps his time uh, had come? Um, did, did he, was he actually ill? And did he know that he had a, you know, illness that uh, would soon uh, um, bring his days to an end? After all, he dies in early '78. Mm. Um, was he simply tired? <laughs> we we don't know, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. So, what, what something interesting about the sequence of the events is he. F- finds a way to reenact this old provision, if you will, uh, and becomes dictator. But, but he doesn't, but what's interesting is his life, his life at that point in time doesn't follow the typical um, narrative of a tyrannical leader that most would think because when you think of your typical tyrannical leader, you think of someone that wants to stay in office for the rest of their life or as long as they can. But what it sounds like is he, to some large extent, uh, voluntarily uh, resigned from from the dictatorship, um, possibly within the, I think you said, within the six months, which was, which was customary. Yeah. When historians are looking at his his life are are they considering him to have been someone of high moral character who had certainly material disagreements um with 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 others or do they see, or is he seen as somebody that really was a uh, malignant character that wanted that wanted power um during his life well, this is in many ways the question I think that 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 Sulla keeps prompting. As I as I think I said at the start, he's a he's a divisive, controversial figure. He was divisive and controversial in antiquity. He remains divisive and controversial, uh, even uh, in modern historiography. Um, the the reference, I suppose, biography in English by Arthur Kivney is entitled "Sulla, the Last Republican," and to a large extent, Kivney. Mm-hmm builds an image of Sulla as someone who was really committed to the restoration of the Republic of the good old days. Um, I, I, I take issue with the reading, but that's immaterial. It's, mm. it's, a, it's a reading that's been very influential. Um, another, again, very influential biography written in French in the 1930s by Jérôme Carcopineau uh, talks of Sulla as a failed monarch, indeed as someone who actually did try really hard to set up a personal monarchy, hmm. right? And eventually realized that uh, um, the senatorial nobility was dead against it and that its opposition would eventually prove fatal uh, to him and that he eventually therefore decided to uh, withdraw to private life whilst he still could, hmm. right? Rather than facing a major backlash, which could potentially be fatal. Um, others have that's not really gone for a, for a clear-cut definition of what Salah might have tried or not tried to do, but have been struck, and I'm certainly one of them, uh, by mm. the uh, rather strong mismatch between what he does 
um, in the run-up to the dictatorship and also in the early stages of the dictatorship, um, carrying out ruthless and comprehensive massacres of his opponents, um, also establishing a new legal framework, really, for the, for those uh, mass killings, the so-called proscriptions. Um, so clearly going out of his way, really, to, 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 to curtail any significant opposition and indeed of sort of making its, its eventual regrouping virtually impossible, only to then relinquish power um, barely, what, less than two years later, mm. right? Uh, so this mismatch really makes makes one wonder whether he he was really planning that all along, whether what he wanted to do was to curtail any any substantial opposition to his regime and to the reforms that he had um, put forward and enacted, or whether perhaps something new intervened, uh, whether perhaps indeed uh, also a healthy field might have played might have played a part. Hmm. Uh, the, 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 he, he dies in early 78 BC. There are some very colourful accounts of his death. Um, which, in principle, would be compatible with the, the, the long-term medical condition. But yeah, again, here we're getting into uh, rather rather mm-hmm. tricky um, territory. Mm-hmm. How do you interpret when when you look back on all these events? How do you interpret his his character? Then, do you think he had the um, kind of that s- sincere? Um, uh, desire to restore the republic, or do you th- do you think he had ulterior motives? I think he had uh, a big political vision, which wasn't really about restoring the republic, but was about setting up a new republic. Hmm. Uh, certainly, a republic, not a a personal regime, not a monarchy. I don't I don't buy that. Um, hmm. w- what I think he uh, envisages is a model in which the republic works more efficiently and is also more uh, capable to address its imperial challenge uh, challenges indeed mm-hmm. um, so he, he devises a, a new fundamentally new way of of, uh, of staffing the, 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 the magistracies at various levels uh, from the quaestorship, the lower one up to the consulship um, he as you might as you might know extends the membership of the Senate that is not a way of making the Senate stronger. In many ways, it's a way of weakening it as a meaningful uh, venue of debate. Um, but what what he clearly envisages is a system in which um, ambitious and capable individuals can make their way up the cursus honorum, right, the, the 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 ladder of the magistracies, by serving in Italy and by serving in the provinces uh, at, you know, at various at various time. Um, and and he also uh, reforms, of course, the, the mm. criminal justice system mm. uh, to 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 a very significant extent. Uh, he is uh, clearly someone who's interested in building more efficient administrative structures, and he's an innovator. Um, and whilst clearly he's someone who operates very ruthlessly, I don't think his personal power was the um, key driver of his actions. Mm. Um, uh, a closing question, uh, possibly yeah. the, the closing question on uh, uh, Sula. Uh, while in power, um, were any of his changes, you cited a few there, w- were there any long-lasting changes that 
really affected the of Rome, which eventually became the Roman Empire, um, and affected other um, leaders in in the future and and countries. Well, um, the criminal courts that he sets up, the permanent criminal courts that he sets up, uh, to cover a rather vast range of, of offenses, uh, do do remain in existence. Uh, until until the early imperial period and indeed beyond and and become a very uh, very substantial uh, aspect really of the development in the, the development of the Roman legal science, which of course as, as, as we all know has had major implications well beyond uh, well beyond the Roman period mm. and uh, I think another important range of reforms that he brought about. Um, involves the empire, involves the structure of the empire, the, 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 the administration of the empire, the way in which provinces are run, the rules that uh, magistrates are supposed to comply with in the fulfillment of their duties. And I think in bringing greater efficiency and greater cohesion to the uh, imperial structure, and indeed to the channels of exploitation that mm-hmm. underpin it, uh, Sulla had a, a major impact, which goes well beyond his lifetime or indeed his generation. And then, of course, uh, he sets uh, a very powerful example uh, on what political violence can achieve, especially if you don't just rely on uh, organized gangs of supporters in the city of Rome, but you rely on uh, the legions, Mm. you rely on the army. And in that respect, of course, um, the likes of Pompey, but even more so Mm. Caesar, not to speak of the triumvirs later on, uh, well, clearly found a great deal to learn from from someone. Very interesting conversation. Thank you, Federico, for for joining me today. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you very much. So again, everybody, the couple books that I mentioned at the start of the episode that Dr. Santangelo has authored, Sulla, the Elite and the Empire, a study of Roman policies in Italy and the Greek East. And the second one was Divination, Prediction, and the End of the Roman Republic. I'll drop links to both the books in the show notes on the IthacaBound.com's associated subpage to this episode. Federico and everybody listening, as always, wishing you a marvelous journey. Bye for now. Hey again, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast, and I wish you a bountiful rest of your day. Bye for now.